Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I was asking God today for, um, well, ever since I've been preparing for this message, a pastor Brent asked me to preach to you guys today and uh, asked him for a, a rhema word, a now word for us in this season. Like, what is it, God, that you want to say to us now, right now in this season? And uh, just as I was praying for that and listening and trying to hear what it was the Lord wanted to say to us, it was two very, very simple words that came through loud and clear, uh, short, simple concise words. Somebody in the back said, praise the Lord. It's going to be a short message. It's uh, beautiful and sunny here in New Brunswick where I'm at today at the very least, but two very simple words, and they were this, fear not. Fear not. Very, very simple words. And, and immediately when I heard that, at first I was like, yes, because, you know, as a preacher, there is ample material in the scriptures around the topic of fear. There's lots of it. There's just, there's just plenty. And for us, I know that, like, we, our lives have all been just in upheaval for the last several months. They have. And we're tired of talking about it, to be honest, aren't we? Like, there's been so much tension and different things going on in our lives. We've had racial tension and political tension and cultural tension. It's just been tense. And sometimes it feels like the whole world around us is wound up tighter than a $2 watch and it just, it's spilling over into other areas of our lives, right? And it's sort of spilling over into our personal lives. And I feel like, at least for me, I sort of like diagnose this and try to dig into it a little bit. It seems to me like our lack of comfort with what's going on in the world right now and what's been going on for the last few months and all of this tension really boils down to our lack of control over these circumstances. Lisa does for me. I'm a type three in the Enneagram, so I can be a little bit crazy sometimes, but like you take away my control and my anxiety level just begins to rise. Anybody else like that? Like, and it's simple with dumb things. Like when I'm driving, I would just rather be, I'd rather be in the driver's seat, okay? I can ride with you and I can be your passenger, but internally I'm judging everything that you do, all right? I would just, I would rather just be driving. It's easier, it's easier for me. You want to get me on a tube behind a speedboat, all right? I like that. I will do that. That's cool, but there's always a little bit of nervousness that bubbles up inside of me whenever I get on that tube because as soon as that boat takes off, I am at the complete mercy of the person that's driving that boat, right? There is nothing I can say or do. Whatever they choose to do is going to be done unto me, right? I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Like, and all I can do is hang on for dear life. It's a little bit, it's a little bit anxiety-inducing sometimes, isn't it? Roller coasters. I love roller coasters. Anybody like a good roller coaster ride out there? Like, I enjoy roller coasters, but there is something, you know that feeling, like when that ride starts to move, your decision-making input is done. Like you get no other, you get no other choices. Like once you start up that hill and you hear the clicking, like no amount of screaming or pleading or begging or crying is gonna stop that ride. Like you are you are in it and it doesn't matter if you change your mind, it's too late, right? Like nothing spikes our anxiety like taking away our control, at least not for me. And I think that even if you're not quite as neurotic maybe as I am, that you probably can relate to that. And I think maybe that's why we've been feeling a little bit touchy these days. We're, we're sick and tired of not, not being in control. And uh, even lack of control in how we live our daily lives. Some of us for the very first time ever, like we can't necessarily decide where we wanna go and what we wanna do in, in the exact moments. Like maybe for you, it's, it's lack of control at work. Like maybe you've got the perfect solution to that problem that your organization is facing, but your boss doesn't see it the same way that you do, right? And so it's, it's frustration, it's lack of control. Maybe for you, it's in how your grown children make their decisions and are choosing to live their lives 
right now. Maybe for you, the lack of control is a diagnosis for you or for someone that you love. Like we never feel any less in control than in a moment like that. Isn't it true? But you know what's amazing is I heard those two words from the Lord for us, the rhema word for now, fear not. And you know how many times throughout the scriptures that the Lord has commanded us to, to fear not? You know how many times? Just take a guess, because if I had time, I would turn this into a really awesome trivia game, I'll tell you what, but I don't, and so I'm gonna tell you the answer. It's 365 times, church, 365 times that the Lord says, fear not in the Bible. You know what that is? That is not a coincidence. That's once for every single day of the year, right? God says, fear not. That means every single time we open our eyes, every day we wake up, he's saying, fear not, for I am with you. And I think that so much of what we're thinking about and what we're dialoguing about and what we're posting about in this season really comes back to that certain level of fear and lack of control that we have. We're asking questions like, well, what's gonna happen if that guy gets voted in? And what's gonna happen if they enforce or remove that level of restriction? What's gonna happen if that bill gets passed? What's gonna happen if you know, the judge doesn't see my side of the story? And it kind of feels like we all just need a giant stress ball that we can collectively squeeze, doesn't it? Like, you know those things, you can just hammer on those and it's just like, it just sort of relieves some of the tension in your life. And so I feel like that's what we need today. I feel like we need a good, old-fashioned, therapeutic, Holy Spirit massage up in this place today. Does that sound good to anybody else? Like a good Holy Spirit massage. And so that's what we're gonna do today, minus the, the partial nudity and the awkward physical contact. But other than that, this is gonna be just like a really like good massage for your weary soul. So I just wanna invite you today just to sit back and relax and take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, close your eyes if you need to, try not to fall asleep, but if you do, I can forgive you because I feel like the Lord has given us a word today that wants to do exactly this, and we're gonna be in Psalm 23 together. Now, this is arguably the most famous passage in all of scripture, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we could argue about whether or not it actually is, but I've got the microphone, so today it is the most famous passage in all of scripture, and it's one that many of us probably at some point over the years, if you've been around church long at all, you've heard it so much, or maybe you've intentionally memorized it in your life. People that don't even go to church at all know this passage and have heard it. If I say the Lord is my shepherd to someone, they're probably going to respond, I shall not want. Like it's just sort of ingrained still in our culture. And if we live our lives through the lens of this psalm, and we live like it's actually true, then it's an absolute game changer for where we're at in our lives right now. If you're anything like me, I have a tendency to forget the power of the truth of these words at the times in my life when I need them the most. And so today, I just really feel like the Lord wants to remind us of these and highlight this for us. It's one of those passages of scripture that will really just begin to dissolve and melt away some of the stress and the anxiety and the tension in our lives if we will let it. So is anybody, anybody tired of being stressed? Is anybody tired of the, of the news cycle and all that and just wants to be refreshed a little bit today? Or is that just me? Because I need this church. So here, let's read this together. Psalm, Psalm 23. And uh, again, very familiar passage for many of us. I memorized this in the King James Version when I was growing up. Like, we never use that anymore. But uh, this is the NIV here today. And just, just receive this. Receive this today as we read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, 
Some passages say, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just receive that today, church. And there's a couple things here I want to highlight for us as you work through, as you work through the psalm. There's so much here. These could all be a sermon in and of themselves, but I'm just going to power through these quickly for us today because I want us to be encouraged. All right, the first thing we see right here, that very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. All right, there's a couple things that is happening here. Some of us know that Psalm 23 was written by David, King David, you know, one of the most famous figures in all of the Old Testament. He was an incredible king and an incredible leader. He was also a mighty, mighty warrior. And all the cool stories in the Old Testament seem to revolve around David. The Bible even says that he was good looking. He's just one of those guys that we hate, right? He's a full package. He's got it all. And when he wrote this, he's doing something very specific here in this very first verse in Psalm 23. He's making a declaration and then immediately following that up with a decision, all right? He's declaring that the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, God, God is the good shepherd. What's a shepherd do? He takes care of his sheep, right? He provides for them. He makes sure they have food. He makes sure they have water. He makes sure they've got enough to eat. He makes sure they're taken care of and protected. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, God provides for all of my needs. That's the declaration. God has given me everything. God has blessed me with everything. There is nothing in my life that I need or require that the Lord has not blessed me with, that the Lord does not have the ability to bless me with. There is no need in my life too great that God cannot and will not meet it. That's the declaration okay directly followed up by a decision where he's saying I lack nothing the King James says I shall not want right he's saying because God is so good because God is so able because God is so massively willing to meet all of my needs and there's nothing in my life that he can't do and won't do then I'm making a decision to say I lack nothing. There is nothing in my life that I'm going to pine away for. I'm not going to spend my days worrying about the things that I cannot control. I'm not going to spend my time wishing I had a whole bunch of things that I didn't. I'm not going to be jealous of guys like King David because they were better looking than me. Like I just, I believe that the Lord is so good and so able and so willing to meet all my needs that I shall not want. I lack nothing. You lack nothing. We lack nothing nothing, King's Church, not even in 2021, not even in the midst of all the tension and everything that we're feeling and all the lack of control and all of that, we lack nothing. I wonder how much time, for me, it'd be a lot, all right? Like, how much time would we regain in our daily lives if we just lived like this was true and we just stopped worrying about the things that we couldn't control, stopped being concerned with the things that we don't have and trying to get and attain things that we were never maybe meant to have. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I just, if I just had a better job, maybe a better boyfriend, all right? Like a better, a better car, a better house, a better investment strategy, a better, a better business plan. But we lack nothing. Jesus enters into the turmoil and the uncertainty of our lives and all of the questions that we ask and the things that bubble up around us. And he reminds us that we lack nothing. We have everything that we need. In fact, he, the good shepherd, is everything that we need, church. He is our shepherd. He is perfectly good. And my stress about what I don't have or what I might need just begins to melt away when I am in his 
presence. It changes the game. When I trust him fully, the Apostle Paul talked about this in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Paul said this. He wrote this from prison, by the way. All right, You're not in prison today, so you're doing better than Paul. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. And I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I lack nothing. That's a game changer, church. We lack nothing. We have everything that we need. And when we begin to live like that is true, when we remember these famous words that some of us memorized as little children, when we remember these and start to live like they're true and find our contentment and our reliance only in the good shepherd, not in the things that we can gather up for ourselves, not in the things that we can accomplish for ourselves, but just in the goodness of who he is and his provision for us changes the game, all right? So that's just the first verse. Again, that could be a whole sermon on its own, but we got a little bit more to do here today. Uh, 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 comfort and restoration. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, refreshes my soul, and guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Now, we need to stop here for just a beat because there's a very important word here that we need to highlight and circle like 75 million times, all right? And I just want to ask you this very simple question today. Are you okay and are you cool with a God who makes you do things? Because if you're not, I'm just going to tell you what, like you, you just might as well shut the laptop right now and get an early start on lunch. Because when you read through the scriptures, like as good as God is, there are times and seasons in our life where he is going to make us do things. He's going to ask something or require something of us. When I read through the entire narrative of scripture, like that is just immediately obvious. He says, I gave my life for you and all you need to do in return is die to yourself. Surrender your control, Andy Broad, control freak. Surrender all of that to me. And let me handle it. Let me take care of it for you. And are you cool with a God who makes you do things? Now, I promise this is going to be like a Holy Spirit massage, right? We're just working out a little knot here right now in this moment. Like, are you cool with a God who makes you do things? Because here's the deal. He's a good God. He's a good shepherd. What are the, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside those quiet, still waters. He refreshes my soul and guides me along the right paths. Like the good shepherd knows where the green pastures are, my friends. He knows where the still waters are. Like a shepherd's job is to meet the needs of the sheep, right? The shepherd knows when to force the sheep out of this location that they're in right now that they may be comfortable with to push them on to something that's better beyond the horizon. It's what the, it's what the good shepherd does. And we can trust him. God will require things of you. He may ask things of you and ask you to lay down your life and give your all. But luckily for us, he's the good shepherd. Paul talked about this in Corinthians chapter 4, 17. Paul said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what we can see happening around us right here, right now, with all the messiness and uncertainty, but we fix our eyes on what is, what is unseen, what's happening in heaven. Because what's happening here and what we're facing right now is actually temporary. This is the imitation. This is the shadow world. And what's happening in the heavenly realm is what matters. It's where the buck stops. It's what it's all about. It's what we were designed to live for. It changes the game, right? That very first line in the psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, we can't say that without admitting that we are sheep in need of a shepherd, right? 
admitting that we need some help. And some, for some of us, that's harder than others because sheep are not the most noble of God's creation, are they? Like, they've got a reputation for being a little stupid, a little slow, a little helpless, that they need a little bit of extra help once in a while. And listen, I've never been a shepherd. I don't know if any of you have. Like, maybe you're watching online today from somewhere across the world and you're a shepherd and you know what that means. But for me, the closest correlation I can draw to this is being a parent, right? Never been a shepherd, but I've been a parent. And I feel like most days, those are probably pretty similar things, all right? And the, the most key uh, uh, correlation I could draw here is that, like, it feels like at least with parents and those of you that have that raised young kids, I've got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, love them so much, Carter and Max, my, with everything I've got, I love them. But it really feels like, and parents of young children, you know this, it really feels like just for the first few years of their lives, children are really just trying to kill themselves, and it's our job not to let them do that, Right? Am I right? Like, I could take my kids and put them down in the most soft, comfortable, safest of environments. Everything's all plush and soft and rounded edges and no sharp corners and safe toys, padded walls, the whole thing. And they will find the one tiny hidden thing in that room that will kill them, won't they? Anybody else's kids or is that just mine? It's, it's, it's what they do. And it's my job as a parent not to let them do that, right? Because, okay, maybe you're not as comfortable calling your kids dumb as I am. I love you, boys. But... I think, that, I think that we can all agree that they're just a little naive to the dangers of the world, right? And it's our job to guide them and to help them understand that better. That's our job as parents. That's the shepherd's job with the sheep. Just like sheep need a shepherd, just like kids need parents, like we need God to come alongside us. We need God to be the one who uh, keeps us in line and saves us from our own naivete. And on some of the hot button issues in our world and in our culture right now, some of the things that can cause us to tremble and question and wonder and wonder what the future holds and what this is all going to look like and how it's all going to pan out. Like, even if the world ends tomorrow, like, am I going to gain anything about it by it, by, by worrying about it right now? Like, if I waste my time right now worrying about, about what's going to happen tomorrow, can I change it? Like, do I, need to, do I need to stockpile weapons and canned goods and prepare for the inevitable unraveling of the social fabric of Western civilization? Like, is that, is that my job? Or do I just need to fix my eyes on the good shepherd and trust that he knows the terrain, that he's been in the wilderness before? He knows how this works. He created all of this. He knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the still waters are. He knows what I need. Maybe my job is to fix my eyes on him, to learn to hear his voice, to tune my heart and my mind, to recognize his voice and to know his will and to be trusting in his provision and his protection. And it says there that he refreshes, he refreshes my soul. Some passages say that he, he restores my soul that he's willing to give back what the enemy has tried to steal from you. Like, we know that the further we get away from the shepherd, the messier things get, right? Like, maybe you get caught up in the mud. Maybe you get caught up in the thorn and the brambles. You fall in a ditch and you break your leg. Like, the further we get away from the shepherd, the more dangerous things get. But the good shepherd is always willing to come and get you and pick you up and clean off the mud and pick the thorns, pick the thorns out and dust you off and set you back on the right path, Right? to give back what the enemy tried to take because the enemy will whisper and say, ah, there's a better way, there's a better path. You don't need this dusty old book written by a bunch of dead guys. You don't need some deity up in the sky telling you how to live your life and making your rules. Like, you're a pioneer sheep. You take control. You're woke. You know better. You're smarter than everybody else. You forge your own path and you make your own way. And it's like, bam, that's when we hit the ditch. 
And the good shepherd's always willing to come in and pick us up and dust us off, set us back on the right path to restore, restore, restore. He knows where the green pastures and the still waters are, church. As for today, I lack nothing. There is nothing I need that he does not provide for me. So we need to fix our eyes on the good shepherd. Anything that he makes us do, anything he asks of us, anything that he ever requires of us will be for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. That's who he is. He's the good shepherd. And as for me and my house, that's enough, all right? That's encouraging for us today. Again, these could all be sermons, but the next one, look at this. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. But the valley of the shadow of death, the King James says, for you are with me. This is where we find, this is where we find our courage, okay? Because I want you guys to notice something here. David doesn't say that because God is with me, evil doesn't exist. No, he says, even in the face of evil, even though evil surrounds, even though all this junk is swirling in the shadow world, I don't have to be afraid of it. He never denies evil's existence. He just says, you don't have to fear it. And this is what we forget so many times. When all the stuff starts to swirl in our life and all the tension bubbles up, we forget that the Lord has already promised and declared over us that we don't have to fear it. We don't have to be stressed out by it. We don't have to be anxious about it. The good shepherd isn't absent in the valley. He's, he's with us in the valley. There's another super important word here I don't want you to miss, all right? Because David doesn't say, even though I walk into the valley of the shadow of death, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like, we don't live here. This isn't where we stop and build our house. This isn't where we set up camp. This isn't a permanent location. Like, the valley of shadows, the darkest valley. Like, this is a season. These are things that we walk through. We don't stay here. Like, do you, do you catch the difference there? Because I think that's really important. What's the first thing that we do when we're afraid? What's the first thing we do when we're in the darkness? We grab on. We want to be as close to somebody that we love, right? Like we grab, we grab onto them. You hear a bump in the night. What do you do? Grab the person close to you. Did you hear that? What do our kids do when they have nightmares and night terrors? They want to be held. They want to be comforted, right? They want someone to rub their back and tell them that it's going to be okay. Someone who can see beyond the shadows, because this perceived reality, this nightmare that we're living, this thing that, that, that we're up against right now, like sometimes we just can't see beyond the shadow. Sometimes like the shadow world is so big and in our face that it overwhelms and we want someone who can see beyond that. We want someone who can comfort us. We need the good shepherd. The one who walks with us, leads us through the valley, not, not into it. And when our courage is bolstered with something like that, and like just being close to him, like it gives us a resolve, right? It's like, okay, I can do this. I don't live here. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through this. Like whatever it is that God is asking of me in this season, he's here with me. He's not absent. And I will make it through the valley and we'll get to the other side together. It gives us courage and resolve. The next verse, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, all right? This might be another little knot in the massage here for just a second, but it's the, the correction and the realignment that is good. Shepherds carry two sticks, all right? We all know the big, the staff with the crook on it. Those are the ones our guys in our nativity scenes have at Christmas time. You know those, but they also had a rod, like a little short, dense club, and that's what they used to like beat the snot out of bears and wolves and lions, like anything that tried to eat the sheep. Like that was their, that was their weapon. That was their protection, right? 
The staff was used to guide the sheep, to realign the sheep. When they were, when they were getting off, when they were straying off in the wrong path, the staff was used to sort of correct them for course correction and bring them back and be pointing them in the right direction and have them heading where they needed to head and going where they needed to go. Just like our cars. Your car gets knocked out of alignment. Like what happens? It severely lessens the quality of your driving experience when our car is out of alignment, right? And just... Just like that in the relationship with God, like sometimes we need a little bit of realignment. We need a little bit of course correction. We need a little bit of adjustment. And it's actually an incredible comfort because we can trust the good shepherd. He's trustworthy. We already said he knows where the green pastures are. He's leading us to still quiet waters. And sometimes he needs to realign us and get us back on that path. Andy Stanley, uh, a very influential pastor in our age, he said this very famously, that your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. He actually wrote in a whole book about it, and it's incredible. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And you can have the best intentions in all of the world to get to green pastures, but if they're that way and you're walking that way, you're never going to get there. All the best intentions in the world is not going to trump your direction. And the good shepherd knows the direction that we need to head in. Right, church? Like, he knows where we need to go. He knows what we need. He, he, like, he meets all of our needs, even the ones that we didn't know that we have. And what's amazing is that he's always trustworthy. He's always good. Like, when my car's out of alignment and I have to take it to a mechanic, not always trustworthy, right? Especially as someone who doesn't have the ability to fix a car and doesn't understand all the mechanics of it myself. When I go to the mechanic and say I need help with something or something's wrong, I have to trust that they're telling me the truth. I have to trust in their ability and that they know what they're doing. They tell me that my flux capacitor is acting up and it's going to be $3,000 to replace. Like, I just have to trust and believe that they're not trying to pull one over on me. And what's incredible is that the Good Shepherd is always trustworthy. But that lack of control that sometimes we feel at the mechanic, like, we don't ever have to have that with Him. It's actually a comfort to surrender control to Him. It's a comfort to say, You take this, you handle this, you deal with this on my behalf. You're going to do a way better job with it than I could ever hope to do on my own anyway. We never have to wonder with him. Our trust and our confidence will not and cannot be misplaced in the Good Shepherd Church. Next verse, we see this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Man, this is, this is so good. Again, whole sermons here. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Like something changes when we get in the presence of of God. David's saying here that God is not only good, he's not only willing and able to provide for us, but his goodness supersedes the darkness around us, right? When he, when he talks about a table, like we're not talking about preparing a table, we're not talking about carpentry and building a table, you know, with, with four legs and a top. He's talking about the spread. He's talking about the feast. He's talking about a banquet, right? You ever been to a good banquet? Like, I, I, could, I could use a good banquet in my life, you know? It's like, like when you're at a feast, when you're feast, you can't, I can't feast and not be happy, right? It's just like those things just, they go hand in hand, don't they? And it's like when you're at, when you're at a feast, when you're at a banquet, it's a celebration. It's a, it's a highlight moment. It is, it is a good, it is a good time. It is a happy time. And David's saying that even in the presence of my enemies, even when we're right on the battlefield, even when all the junk is swirling around us and all the tension is around us and all the uncertainty is around us, he said, you prepare a banquet for me, a feast for me, throw a party for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, David, like we said earlier, David wrote this 
was a warrior. He was an incredible king. He was also a warrior. He would have, he would have known all too well what it was like to be on the front lines of the battle, to be on the front lines of, of a war. I'm sure that he had more than his fair share of meals in his tent on the front lines. And there has to be times, like I just try to put myself in that situation. Like there has to be times when it's so difficult to focus on what you're eating and what you're enjoying when the battle's raging right on the other side of those thin fabric walls, right? Probably most meals for soldiers back then was like just, you know, grab a handful of, of something preserved or, or dehydrated meat or, or something like that just to scarf it down real quick and then get to the front lines because what's happening out here is, is, is priority. It's taking all of our time and our energy and our concentration. And David's saying, like, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a respite. It's a gift. It's, a, it's an in spite of everything else that's going on that I sit at a table with you and enjoy this moment with you. And I just want to ask you this question because God asked me this this week and so I'm not going to suffer alone here. I want to ask you this. Like, like, have you been missing out on the banquet that's right in front of you, that he's prepared for you because you're too distracted by all the noise that's around you in your life right now? All the noise that's going on in the world and culture. Like, are we missing the banquet because of all the battle that's raging right outside, right outside our tent? Are we missing out on his good gifts, on his goodness and provision? And what I know is true about God is that all that goodness and that provision that we've been talking about isn't lessened one iota because of the battle. It isn't lessened in any way, shape, or form because of the difficult things and the uncertainty that's happening around us. Like, Have you ever been around someone who's just full of confidence? Have you ever been around someone who just knows what's going on and knows the deal? Like if you're trying to learn something new and you've got somebody there with you that knows the ropes and they've been around and they've done it a few times and they're encouraging and they're helpful to you and it makes you feel like, oh, man, I, I can do this too. I'll, I can believe in myself because I see it in them. And like, and like we can borrow from their confidence. Listen, the ultimate king sits at our table. He is in our tent and on our side. And he fights, he fights for us. So it's like, whoa. Like that's all the confidence in the world that I need to borrow. Like when things are getting dicey, like I can borrow from his confidence. He's not, he's not concerned about the outcome. He's not concerned with what's gonna happen. He's not concerned about the political climate. He's not concerned about woke ideologies. Like, He's not concerned about launching strategic campaigns and taking ground and winning the war and winning the fight. Like, he's fully confident in who he is and his abilities. He sits at my table. He invites us to borrow from his confidence. He fights for us. Scriptures say, like, no weapon formed against you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Even if you lose your life, it's gain. Because then you're ushered into eternity with him forever actual perfection like like we we can't we can't lose paul talks about that paul talks about that in philippians he says to live is christ and to die is gain like no matter what i win no matter what we win god's presence shows up in the presence of our enemies even in the midst of the darkness his presence in the presence his presence in the presence and the imagery and the meaning of this table 
is so profound and significant, and it, bring, it brings us to our, our, our last point here today, and then we're going to be done. It says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Some passages say goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the Old Testament culture, when David, when David would have been writing this, to eat at someone's table was significant and profound, even more than it is today. It matters today, and it's profound, but it, it, in that day, it formed these kind of mutual bonds of loyalty. Like if you were sharing your table with someone, that, that was significant, and that really, really meant something. And oftentimes, you know, to, to share your table with someone, particularly like a, a feast, like that would be a culmination of a covenant agreement between two parties. They've been working something out together and covenanting together to agree for something and making promises to each other. That would often culminate in, in, in eating and sharing at the same table and breaking bread together. And this is amazing because David's, I think, saying here to us that, you know, if we'll follow the good shepherd, if we'll commit to being his sheep, his children, his sons and daughters, the Lord says, I will covenant, I will covenant with you that my goodness and love, my goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Like you, you dwell in my house forever. Like there is, there is no greater, there is no greater promise than that. There is no greater encouragement than that. Like if, if that doesn't shift our perspective, if that doesn't open our eyes and encourage us and give us hope today, I, I, I don't know what can. Charles Spurgeon, he's, a, he's another old dead guy, an incredible preacher from the 1800s, but he had a quote about this, about this verse right here that I love. He said, these twin guardian angels, talking about God's goodness and love and mercy, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my beck and call. And just get this imagery, because this was just profound for me. He said, just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended, so it is with the believer. You get the imagery, right, of like a prince and his royal procession and all the bodyguards and everything around him. And he's saying, like, everywhere we go as believers, it's with the goodness and the mercy of God at our back. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like, just... Just actually think about that for a moment. Just like dwell on that for a moment. Like everywhere we go, the goodness and the mercy of God go with us. Like his goodness to meet every single need that we will ever encounter. Even the ones that we don't know we have. His mercy and love goes with us to cover all of our sin and all of our shame and all the mistakes that we've made and will ever make goes with us. Like what more could we ask for? All the uncertainty, all the confusion, all the all the tense moments in our lives pale in comparison to that, pale in comparison to that promise. The revelation comes every new day when we wake up and when we open our eyes, and it doesn't matter what's happening out here in the shadow world, right? He speaks those two little words to us, fear not. Fear not, King's Church, for I am with you. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Are you tired of the news reports? Are you tired of the restrictions? Then fear not. Are you journeying, journeying through the valley of the shadow of death today? Then fear not. 
Are you angry at a lack of justice? Then fear not. Are you exasperated by your lack of control in your circumstances right now? Then he says to you, fear not. Are you concerned about somebody that you love? He says, fear not. Listen, church, the good shepherd knows the way home. He knows where the green pastures are. He's ever-present. He's exceedingly and abundantly able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so I just, I would love for us today as a church and as a family just to, just to pray through this psalm together and to pray it and to say the words and pray to him and, 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 and really cement it in our hearts and our minds. And if you feel like you've been up against it, if you just needed to be encouraged today like I did, like I want us just to pray this together. So if you're here in the room, I wanna invite you to stand. If you're watching online today, then I wanna just invite you to take whatever posture that you need to to receive this today. Some of us would do really well to memorize Psalm 23. Some of us, like, we need to write this down and put it on our mirror or our phone background or in our car or somewhere that we're going to see it whenever we need it the most. Because if we live our lives like this is true, church, come on, it's a game, it's a game changer. It changes everything. So I want us just to pray this today. So if you'll just even extend your hands with me today and close your eyes and just, just receive and agree with me as we pray this together. Father, we say that you are our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you meet all of our needs, God. We declare your goodness and we make the decision today and we, we agree together today to say that we lack nothing. We shall not want. There is nothing in our lives that you are not willing and able to meet and to provide for us. We have everything that we need. We don't need to spend another day or another moment worrying about what we do not have, being concerned about what we do not have and what we cannot control. Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you are supremely confident and able to go above and beyond for us. Father, you make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. You refresh our soul and guide us along right paths for your namesake. God, we thank you that whatever you ask or require of us is for our ultimate good and your ultimate glory, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would be glorified through our church, that you would be glorified through our body, that you would be glorified through our lives, God, that you lead us to good things, that our eternal reward is far greater than anything we see here in the shadow world. God, even if we lose our lives, we gain it with you, Father. We believe that and we declare that, that your gifts are good. You lead us beside still waters. You refresh our soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Father, we thank you that even in the darkest moments of our life, God, and we acknowledge and we remember that there are people in our church family that have been asked to walk a very dark road in this season. And God, we say that even in the darkest valleys that you are with us, you don't lead us into the valley, you lead us through the valley. And so we thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your rod and your staff. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your correction. Thank you for your realignment. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Father, anoint our heads with oil right now. Anoint us, Holy Spirit. Our cup overflows with your goodness, God. We celebrate and commemorate who you are, God. Even in the midst of the battle, right outside the tent, God, we recognize the feast in front of us, God. We don't miss the feast for the battle that is raging outside. 
Father, we thank you that surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, man, what a promise, what a gift, what a perspective that your goodness follows us, your mercy follows us all the days of our lives like we've already won in you, Jesus. We rely on you, we depend on you above all else. We submit our own control, as difficult as that is, we submit it to you, King Jesus and say, have your way in our world, have your way in our lives, and we will fix our eyes on you above all else. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, good shepherd. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen.